Greetings and welcome to The House Podcast. My name is Michael and I'm so glad that you're here listening with us. The House Podcast shares the message each week from our local gathering in Central Ohio, which is a gathering of those practicing or interested in practicing the way of Jesus together in our city. In addition to the message given each week by the speaker, we also occasionally will share bonus content, such as interviews with speakers, more in-depth discussion around certain topics, and practical exercises that can help you grow as an apprentice of Jesus. The House Podcast is part of the VIA Podcast Network, which is a larger network of podcasts, all designed to help you and your community live out the way of Jesus in your context. For more information about The House or VIA, you can find us at theviacollective.com. You can follow us on Instagram or Facebook at thehouse.gathering. If you would like to contribute to The House financially, you can also do that at theviacollective.com. We're so glad you're here with us today, and may you be blessed by this week's message. Good evening. Welcome to The House. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to get started. Father, thank you so much that we have this space that we can gather in, that we can talk about what it means to follow you. Jesus, I pray, Lord, tonight that you would speak, um, speak to us. Pray that whether it's in the talk or in the worship or just in fellowshipping, talking with one another, that we would experience something of your presence. We invite you in this place, Holy Spirit. We don't want to just talk about you but we want to commune and have fellowship with you. So we ask, Lord, for your presence to be felt here tonight. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Welcome. My name's Michael. This is the house. Um, Just a few months old. We're just getting started here. But if this is your first time, we're so glad you're here. We do have little guest cards that you can fill out just right on your phone, but we'd love to connect with you. Um, We've been in a series on the Holy Spirit which has basically been the last three weeks. Last week, Pastor Tom came, and he talked about the Holy Spirit as a comforter, as a leader, guider, and as a teacher. Um, Tonight, we're going to look at the Holy Spirit as God's empowering presence. Um, If you're new here and you're not at all sure what this is all about, um, this is just a gathering on Sunday nights for those who are practicing the way of Jesus together um, here in Central Ohio. And really what we are hoping to do on Sunday nights is to create a space for people to kind of authentically engage with their faith. Um, A lot of times it's really easy to just go to church on Sunday mornings, and a lot of people here go to a lot of different churches on Sunday mornings, um, and they engage maybe with a sermon, they get told some good advice or what they ought to do and things like that, and a lot of times it's in a big room, chairs are kind of in a row, um, And it's just kind of, it's almost like a lecture. It's like school all over again, except for Christians. Um, And kind of what we're hoping to do here is something more like a community um, of people wrestling with what it means to follow Jesus. Um, We are organized kind of like this. We have a Sunday night gathering. And then we're also starting tables, which is meals throughout the week that people can wrestle with some of these ideas um, and live life together intentionally. So we're going to dive right in tonight. It's our fourth and final week on the Holy Spirit. Next week, we're actually going to revisit and go back to our topic of Christian nationalism and what does it mean to follow Jesus and engage in politics, which I know is everybody's favorite topic, um, especially on Facebook. But 
we're going to stop this evening. We're just going to focus on the Holy Spirit, and we'll get to that next week. Um, so Gordon Fee actually is the one who uses this phrase. He wrote a thousand-page book on the Holy Spirit, and I can sum up the entire thousand pages with these three words, God's empowering presence. The Holy Spirit is a person, God, he's power, and he's a presence. And when I use the word he tonight, I'm not suggesting that the Holy Spirit is masculine, just that it's not an it, it's not a force, it's a person. And so we're going to really look tonight at how the Holy Spirit and the power of God are tied together. And as we think about what does it mean to follow Jesus, I want to suggest to you tonight that that can only happen through a relationship with the Holy Spirit. It's not actually possible to live the way Jesus lived without a relationship with the Holy Spirit. And so we're going to start in the beginning of Luke's gospel, and we're just going to look at some examples of the Holy Spirit and power. Right at the beginning of Luke's gospel, we have this story of Jesus' birth. He says, an angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You found favor with God. You'll conceive and give birth to a son, and you're to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he'll reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. I want you to notice that phrase, because we're going to use it a lot tonight. The Holy Spirit will come on you. The Holy Spirit will come on you. Luke actually continues the theme at Jesus' baptism. There's this link between spirit and power. And it says when all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And the Holy Spirit, and heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. If you were here a couple weeks ago, we actually talked about how it says like a dove, not that the Holy Spirit is a dove, but it's this idea of hovering over or resting on. So the Holy Spirit comes upon Jesus, comes upon Jesus. Jesus, right in the next verses, it says, was full of the Holy Spirit. He left the Jordan, was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, and then he returns from the wilderness to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. There's this connection in Jesus' life between everything he does and the Holy Spirit, in the power of the Holy Spirit. The power of the Holy Spirit and the person of God are inseparable. The Holy Spirit is God's power. And I don't want you to miss this because a lot of times we come to Jesus and we think that he's just God. So he's got, you know, the God card, he's Superman. But Jesus actually lived his life by the power of the Holy Spirit. When he started his ministry, he actually used these verses to describe it. Jesus stood up in the synagogue and he read the scroll of Isaiah that was handed to him. And in rolling it, he found the place where it's written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. There's that word again, the Holy Spirit is on me. The Holy Spirit is on me. This is a messianic text, which means it's a prophecy about the coming Messiah. And Messiah actually means anointed one. Anointed one, Jesus Christ. Christ is the Greek version of Messiah. And it means anointed, smeared with, covered, on. So the Holy Spirit is actually on Jesus. 
And this is important because when we come to the life of Jesus and if we're serious about living his life, we have to ask the question, how did Jesus do what he did? From Luke 4 all the way into the end of Jesus' life, you're going to see miracle after miracle. And Luke tells us Jesus did these things in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, there's two kind of ways that the New Testament has been read or interpreted, particularly the miracles of Jesus. Starting about 300 years ago, um, right around the time of the Enlightenment, we started to create these categories of natural and supernatural. We started to figure some things out with science. We realized that, wow, the earth goes around the sun. And so we stopped believing that the gods made the sun come up every day. And we started having these categories, things we can explain, which we called natural phenomena, and things we can't explain, which was supra, or above natural. And there was kind of at this point, people, Christians, in good faith, started to say, well, look at all the miracles of Jesus. This must be evidence that he's God. This must be evidence that he is who he says he is. Look, he raised the dead, he healed the sick. And so one kind of school of interpretation became the miracles of Jesus were proof that he was more than a man. There's one big problem, though, with this school of thought, and that's that your Bible is filled with other people who did miracles. Um, if you read Elijah's story in the book of Kings, you'll find he almost did every single miracle, even making things float on water, everything Jesus did. But we don't think Elijah was God. No, we think Elijah did those things by the power of the Spirit of God. And up until that enlightenment time, it was actually kind of the understanding of the church that Jesus did these miracles by the power of the Holy Spirit, not because he had some God card. In fact, the church believed and still believes that Jesus laid down his God card when he came, and he actually lived as a man. In theology, there's kind of three big ways that something is classified as design. Omniscient, which is like all-knowing, omnipotent, and omnipresent. And Jesus, in those three ways, very clearly was not all-powerful. He very clearly was not in every place at once. And he also wasn't all-knowing. He has actually asked lots of questions in the gospel, and sometimes he is asking questions where he really knows the answer, but a lot of times he's asking questions where he doesn't know the answer. He's genuinely living a limited human life. And so if Jesus gave up his God card, if Jesus lived as a person just like you or me, the question becomes, how did he do these things? And we read over and over again that the Holy Spirit was on him. The Holy Spirit was on him. Maybe a better way to understand the miracles that we see in the New Testament is signs of the inbreaking kingdom of God done through the Holy Spirit. Signs of the inbreaking kingdom of God. Yes, it was God's mark of approval on Jesus, but the power of the Holy Spirit actually is what brought in the kingdom of God. Jesus in Luke actually explicitly says this at one point. He says, if I cast out demons by the spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. The way the kingdom of God comes is through the power of the spirit. And what we find though is that this doesn't stop with the life of Jesus. Just like Mary 
was overshadowed and the Holy Spirit came upon her, just like Jesus brought in the kingdom because the Spirit came upon him, we read that it's going to apply to us in just the same way. Shortly before Jesus died, he said, Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater works than these, because I'm going to the Father, and I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. And there's a lot of debate in theology over what he meant by greater things. Did he mean greater in number? Or did he mean, like, I don't really know, Jesus just raised Lazarus from the dead, so I don't know how you, like, up resurrection. But one thing all scholars agree upon is greater things doesn't mean lesser things. Doesn't mean lesser. So whether it's more in number because now the Holy Spirit's on all of us, or whether it's more powerful things that we can't even imagine, Jesus had this expectation And how will you do those things? He says, whatever you ask in my name. In the Middle East, name was a representation of character. It wasn't like a tagline you put at the end of your prayer, in Jesus' name, amen. In Jesus' name meant anything you ask in alignment with my nature. And then he explicitly says in John 14, I'll ask the Father and he'll give you another advocate to help you and to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. And it's the spirit of truth That is how Jesus is showing up in our lives. We read shortly after that, still in John 14, to the one who keeps my commandments, that's following my way, and loves me, my Father and I love him, and will manifest ourselves to him. What Jesus is saying here is that as you walk in my way, I'm going to show up. I'm going to show up. And you are going to do what I do. How? By the power of the Holy Spirit. And guess what? In the next pages, that's exactly what happens. In Acts, which is also written by Luke, he starts off his book this way. In my former book, Theopolis, which is the book of Luke, I wrote about all the things Jesus began to do and to teach. So Luke, the Gospel of Luke, was the beginning, what he began to do and teach. And now... The rest of the book of Acts is what he's going to continue to do and teach. We have the same language. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses. There's this connection between the Holy Spirit coming upon you and you receiving power. So the Holy Spirit came on Mary. It empowered her. The Holy Spirit came on Jesus, and the Holy Spirit will come on you. This is actually the only way to do the things that Jesus did, is to receive the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is available to you. In Acts 3, we see the continuation of this. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon, and a man who was lame, born from birth, was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John, and Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. And then he went with them into the temple courts, walking, jumping, and praising God. 
And in case you think this is just, oh, this is Peter, John, they were just with Jesus a few weeks after Pentecost, it actually keeps going. In Acts 5, the apostles performed many signs and wonders amongst the people, and all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared to join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. As a result, people brought the sick into the streets, laid them on beds and mats, so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by impure spirits, and all of them were healed. All of them. In case you think it's just the apostles, we read about Philip who wasn't even with Jesus, was not an apostle. And those who had been scattered because of persecution preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria. He proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many were paralyzed or lame or healed. So there was great joy in that city. So there's this pattern In the life of Jesus, we see Mary was empowered by the Holy Spirit. Jesus was empowered, and those who followed after him were empowered by the Holy Spirit. He was available to everyone. And before we move on and get into a little bit of where's the power, because we might not be experiencing that, I do want to just pause for a second. I do think that God was doing something special in Peter. I don't think the application from this is we should all get in our cars, go to Looking Memorial Hospital, and start praying for everybody and just try to clear the place out. That's probably not the application for where we're going tonight. But I do want us to wrestle with, yes, God was doing something special in Peter, and nobody's coming to my house with all their sick people, like, geez, just get them in Michael's shadow. Nope, that's not happening. That's my, not my testimony tonight. But we can't deny that followers of Jesus really from the beginning, have been empowered by the Spirit of God to continue to do the works of Jesus. And that Jesus seemed to think that that power was available to everyone, that that was offered to everyone. And it leads us to this question, where is that power? Where's our experience of that power? And I want to suggest tonight that there is a reciprocal relationship between the level of power we experience on an ongoing basis in our relationship with the Holy Spirit. And that might sound like a big sentence, and there's a lot of, there's a big part of me, I'll just be honest, that wishes that wasn't true. I wish God was just going to do what God was going to do, and I was let off the hook. Um, But it's not that way. There's a reciprocal relationship between the power of the Holy Spirit I experience and my relationship with the Holy Spirit. Some of you that are more math-oriented might like a little formula. Um, Obviously, no formula is perfect for this, but intimacy with God plus holiness plus faith equals power. John Wimber actually came up with this idea. And we're going to talk a little bit briefly about both of these, but I think it's really, really important before we talk about how we can experience more of the power of God that we do reiterate here that the Holy Spirit is a person. He's not a force to be wielded. He's a person that we know. Um, I have a picture here. This is not the actual picture. This is just a similar picture. Um, I was helping, when I lived in Yemen, I was helping some people move out, and I got some Yemenis um, friends to help move a piano. And why this missionary couple thought of getting a grand piano in Yemen, um, as unstable as it is, I'll never know. But they did, and they left the country, and they wanted me and my friend 
to get them their piano. Um, we were not strong enough to lift the piano, and so we hired six Yemeni guys to carry a piano out of the second-story house, and somehow we were trying to get it to the airport. And the end of the story was something like this. They decided to try the window because the stairwell was too narrow. Um, and I wish I had pictures of the actual thing because there were two Yemenis on each side and two underneath. And I was terrified the whole time that people were going to die. I was like, I did not pay them enough. And they were like literally underneath trying to push it up. And it just, it reminded me though of something. Some of us, I think, think of the Holy Spirit as like a Superman costume where like I'm going to summon the strength and be able to carry a piano by myself. And I think the reality is, though, that the Holy Spirit is relational in a person. And it's much more like calling up your friends to get help moving a piano than it is summoning the strength of six Yemenis to do a task you can't do on your own. It's not about working yourself up. It's not about emotion even, of like grunting, I'm going to do it. I'm not summoning the Holy Spirit's power. It's like calling a friend for help. And of course, you can't call that friend for help if you have no relationship with that friend, right? It doesn't work. But if I have a relationship, and if I'm doing what the friend does, we're on the same page with what we're trying to accomplish, then I have that freedom to invite a friend. And the Holy Spirit, as Pastor Tom talked about last week, is that friend. He's that comforter, that guide, that teacher. And so when we talk about the power of God, we're also remembering it's not a force that we wield. It's a person that we know. The power of God is a person that we can get to know, that we can have fellowship with. And so when we think of the intimacy with God plus holiness plus faith equals power, I'm just going to end with a little brief word on each of these. Intimacy with God, in Galatians 5, it says, if we live by the Spirit, then let us also keep in step with the Spirit, being aware of God's presence and hearing God's voice. Intimacy with God is what God is after. He wants to be close to you. He wants to walk with you. John Wimber says, when I speak of listening to God's voice, I mean developing a practice of communion with the Father in which we are constantly asking, Lord, what do you want to do now? How do you want to use me? How should I pray? What do you want me to say? Is there someone you want to heal? Is sometime, sometimes he gives me specific insights about people for whom I'm praying. These come as impressions, specific words, pictures in my mind's eye, physical sensations in my body that correspond to problems in their bodies. These impressions help me to know who and what to pray for and how to pray. I love that idea, but I love that phrase, the practice of communion with the Father. Without a doubt, if you want to experience the power of the Holy Spirit, it starts with a practice of communion with the Father. Here at the house, we've said that our goal is to be practicing the way of Jesus together. It's how we define discipleship. This is all about discipleship, practicing communion with the Father. We are meant to live open to God, aware of his presence. If you want to experience more of that power that's available, that can come upon you, that is upon you, then you have to open your heart up to God. You have to become emotionally, physically, and spiritually available to him. 
So intimacy with God is certainly one part of the equation. Another part is holiness. Probably a very misused term in the church. comes with a lot of baggage, but probably the best definition of holiness is set apart for the purpose of God. And I want you to notice that set apart is from something, but it's also for something. Jesus does call the Spirit, which is literally translated wind, he does call the Spirit of God holy, the set-apart Spirit. And by set apart, you have to say set apart from what? What is the Holy Spirit set apart from? And the Holy Spirit is set apart from envy and greed. He's set apart from jealousy, lust, anger, violence. He's set apart from corruption. And if you want to experience more of the Holy Spirit, you have to be set apart from these things. But you also have to be set apart for something. Oftentimes, holiness is actually translated dedicated to God. You're dedicated or set apart for a person. You're set apart for the family purpose. And so holiness enables us to experience more of the Holy Spirit, and we have to be set apart from some things, and we have to be set apart for Him. Our lives have to be given over to Him. There's a yielding that has to take place. And I think this is crucial as we come to this question of how do I experience more of the power of God? We have to ask the question, am I even set apart for God? Have I really given any of my life? Have I really yielded any of my will if he did speak to me? If I did practice that communion and he told me to go do that thing? And a lot of us we're just, if we're being honest, we don't experience much of the power of God and we don't experience much of his holiness in our lives. We have a hard time not sleeping with our boyfriend or girlfriend or stealing or struggling in different areas filled with greed, wanting all the things that people in the world want. And if we really want to experience more of the Holy Spirit without a doubt, you have to, in some meaningful way, set yourself apart for God. And this doesn't mean that you become weird. doesn't mean you have to wear a certain physical outfit that like, wow, that person's just out of touch. It doesn't mean any of those things. But it does mean that you have to dedicate your life to God. You have to be given over to him. And he wants that. The Holy Spirit wants that. The more of yourself that you yield, the more of his power you can experience. And then finally, a lifestyle of obedience, by the way, is probably how holiness, I would define holiness, but finally, faith. We said intimacy with God, holiness, and faith. Without a doubt, faith plays a huge role in experiencing the power of God. I think in like 26 of the 29 miracles explicitly talked about in the gospel, faith is mentioned. And faith can mean a lot of things. Um, my favorite definition of faith is simply trust trust, believing in something as if it's so. But without a doubt, if you don't believe God is able and God is willing, you're not going to be able to experience the power of God. Dallas Willard writes, great faith, like great strength in general, is revealed by the ease of its working. Most of what we think of, what we think we see as the struggle of faith, is really the struggle to act as if we had faith when in fact we do not. It's not working ourselves up to believe something. It's not, you know, groaning and grunting and sweating real hard and like, Jesus, heal them. No, it's not that. It's not what we see in the Gospels. Faith is simply believing that God is willing 
that he's good, and that he's able. The woman came to Jesus and she said to him, can you heal my child? Are you willing? And Jesus gave this real obvious answer. He said, I am. I am. And he gave that answer to every single person who came to him. Never once did somebody who came to Jesus get the answer, no, I'm not willing. I'm not willing. He's good and he's able. And if we want to experience the power of God, if we want to experience the Holy Spirit come upon us, if we want to walk in more of the power of God, then we too have to grow in faith. And the best way to grow in faith is to risk. The best way to grow in faith is to take chances, to risk. Because you're not going to find out what God is willing to do if you don't try. If you want to see people get healed, guess what you have to do? You've got to pray for sick people. Yeah. I know a lot of people that don't believe in miracles that have never prayed for sick people. And I don't know a single person that has consistently prayed for sick people that hasn't seen a miracle. I actually read a book once called The Power of God by Charles Kraft. And he's like an 80-year-old dude, missionary. And for 45 years of ministry, he used to give people this challenge. He said, pray for 50 people, 50 people that are sick. Document them. And if you pray for 50 people and nobody gets healed, you don't ever have to pray for the sick again. And in 45 years of ministry, hundreds and hundreds of people have taken that challenge. And he said, I've never heard one testimony that I prayed for 50 people and nobody got healed. Never once. He's like, this is what actually happens. We pray for one or two people, it's awkward, and we stop trying. And so if we want to grow in the power of God, if we want to see healing, or if we want to see prophecy, Paul said, eagerly desire the gift of prophecy. We want to have words for other people that encourage and build them up. If we want to see demons get cast out and not just, you know, turn our head, look the other way, and hope it's just a mental health issue. If we want to see that stuff in our life, we're going to have to stretch ourselves. We're going to have to stretch ourselves. We're going to have to take chances. We're going to have to be willing to fail. But I promise you this, intimacy plus holiness plus faith does equal the power of God. It does equal the power of God. As you lean in to those three things, you'll begin to experience more and more of God. In the same Holy Spirit that was on Mary, that was on Jesus, that was on his first followers and followers after that, that same Holy Spirit is available for you. That same Holy Spirit, he doesn't just live inside of you. He wants to be on you. Yes, if you've believed in Jesus, the Holy Spirit has come inside of you. You're born again. But he wants to rest on you to bring in more of the kingdom of God. The Holy Spirit rests on you as inbreaking kingdom of God, signs of the inbreaking kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is not yet fully realized. It's not yet here, which means there's more work to be done, more of the kingdom to come. And we are invited to join that work. We're invited to bring more of the kingdom of God. We're invited to bring more healing into the world. We're invited 
to bring more holiness into the world. We're invited to bring more justice into the world. And as we look here at the house, at the things Jesus did, I know about a month ago we listed the 10 main things he did. And there were things like healing, preaching the gospel, speaking the truth to power, doing justice. As we think of those things that Jesus did, there's no way that you can do them without the power of the Holy Spirit. And there's people in this room tonight, I know, that have been coming to church for a really long time and trying really, really hard to be like Jesus, maybe in a moral sense. And the invitation is to become like him in a complete sense, to actually do what he did. And you can. It is possible. Even if you struggle to believe it tonight, Jesus believes it. Jesus believes you're capable of carrying on his ministry. And he's chosen you to be a part of the family, the team that brings in more of the kingdom of God, more hope, more love, more life to people all around us. And there's nothing more exciting than when you start to experience the power of God when it stops becoming this ideal that I hope for but never realize, and instead it becomes like a tidal wave, like an electrical current where you realize, wow, he's going to do abundantly more than I can ask, abundantly more than I can imagine. When I look at the equation, I think like, God has to be here. When I become the proof of his goodness, the proof of his existence, because I don't know how that person got healed. I don't know how that demon left. That's God. That's God. And so as we close in prayer, I want you to just think, how much of your life is the only, the only explanation is that's God? How much of your life, how much of what you do day to day can only be explained as that's God? There's more available there's more available. Jesus' invitation is to follow me, to become like me. And Jesus was empowered by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit rested on him. And I know without a shadow of a doubt tonight, the Holy Spirit wants to rest on you. He wants to rest on you. He wants to do greater things through the people in this room that the book of Acts which started in the former book, the things that Jesus began to do. It's not yet complete. There's greater works. There's more works. There's works you're called to do. But is your life only explained by the power of the Holy Spirit? Or are you just trying to be a good person? Just trying to make it day to day? If you're honest, Jesus is more like Mr. Rogers, a nice, like, ideal I'm trying to be nice, trying not to screw up, trying not to screw anybody over, rather than I'm a part of his family, his team. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you are not stingy, you are not unwilling, that from the beginning you've been poured out that from the beginning you have wanted to cover us, that you've wanted to rest in us, that you've wanted to empower us. 
I thank you that, Jesus, your anointing is available. And in the same way that the Holy Spirit overshadowed you and overshadowed Peter and John and Philip, in the same way that you overshadow people today, Brother Yoon in China and countless, countless people across the world who are experiencing your power, experiencing resurrection life, that you want to cover us. Lord, I sense like one of the words you want to say tonight to some people here is, are you ready yet? Maybe you're here tonight and you've been wrestling for a little while. You're intrigued by these ideas. And I really do believe the Father's word for you tonight is, I'm ready when you are. I'm ready when you are. Maybe you're here tonight and you just need to step out. You need to step out in faith a little bit. Maybe you theoretically agree with everything I said tonight. You're thinking you made a pretty good case. Help us, Lord. Help us to obey. Help us to take a chance. Help us to risk. We ask even tonight, Holy Spirit, as we worship, that you would rest on us, that we would feel your presence, that we would know you in this place, that you would be real to us here. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.